Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, I recently watched a new docu-series on Amazon Prime, and it was called Shiny Happy People, Duggar Family Secrets. And so it was about the Duggar family, and if you're not aware of who they are, they're reality television stars who were made famous by the fact that they had 19 kids in their family. And so they had, originally when TLC came to them, they had 17 kids, and so the show was 17 kids and counting. Then it was 18 kids and counting, then it was 19 kids and counting. TLC was like, oh, this is kind of a fun, quirky, interesting thing to do a reality TV show around. Um, and it was actually one of the shows that put TLC on the map in terms of like reality television. Like After that, there was just like a bunch of other shows that they spun up or, that were of a similar kind of style of this reality uh, follow a family. And just the whole premise of the show was like, what's it like? How do you function in a family where there's 19 kids? Uh, but the Duggars, they also had some pretty uh, fundamentalistic theology, and the shadow side of that was really kept from the public eye for a long time until recent years. And so this docuseries, uh, it really walked through a lot of that, their theology, the movement that they were a part of, and the abuses of it, as well as some of like just even the unseemly things that were happening in their own household. And so... I ended up having to watch it for work, and so I have you know notes on the whole thing, and I wrote a summary article, and we can link to that in the show notes. Um, but this is not the first docu-series of this kind that has come out in recent years. This kind of sort of investigative journalistic show where they kind of walk through and reveal a lot of the corruption of an evangelical leader or an evangelical institution or movement. And so just last month on Hulu, uh, they released uh, The Secrets of Hillsong, which explored the scandals around Carl Lentz and Brian Houston at Hillsong Church. There was another docuseries made by Discovery, uh, it was like last year or something like that, called uh, Hillsong, a megachurch exposed. And that one was pretty much similar to The Secrets of Hillsong one, uh, other than the fact that this new one on Hulu um, it actually had an interview with Carl Lentz, which is his first public interview since he was fired from Hillsong in 2020. And so there's one on Hulu, there's one on, well, it used to be Discovery Plus, and now it's on Max, which that was like the worst uh, rebranding in rebranding history. But we won't get into that here. Yeah, you're, I don't know why you're so upset about that, but that's It's so okay. dumb. I'm like, how much are they paying these marketing execs? That's the best you can come up with? Max. I mean... No, whatever. Uh, but also... <laughs> Moving on. Also in recent years, uh, Christianity Today's uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, that was a podcast. It was wildly popular, and it you know kind of walked through the scandals related to Mark Driscoll and uh, his now defunct uh, church in Seattle. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking about... There was another one on Hulu about Jerry Falwell Jr. I can't remember yes. what that one was called, but it went through the whole weird sex scandal with him. Uh, and so there are a lot of people who have been kind of celebrating the fact that a lot of this content is coming out, this journalistic content. Uh, usually the people who have been harmed by these people or these institutions are like, yes, I'm glad that now you can watch four episodes of, of a streaming service of the hell I went through to dignify what, what's been going on uh, in these uh, institutions and with these leaders. On the other hand, there have been people who have kind of been raising alarm bells um, and they started referring to this kind of content as failure porn. And the idea is that we get some kind of sick satisfaction about, you know, from watching these stars fall from grace. So, like, in this kind of, this is failure porn, it's like this idea that, like, the Duggars and Hillsong and Jerry Falwell, uh, they're kind of like the Christian equivalent of, like, when the tabloids were following Lindsay Lohan or Britney Spears, you know, for a number of years as they were struggling with their their mental health. So, like, we consume these stories, and they're informative, but they're also a form of, like, entertainment. They're a form of money-making for the studios that are creating them because they wouldn't produce them if they weren't going to make any money off of them. And so, for some, they see this whole wave of uh, documentary content showing high-profile evangelical scandals uh, not only as a money-making machine, but also as a concerted effort to dismantle and destroy the entire movement. But then the people on the other side would argue back and say, no, that's not what ha what's happening. We're not celebrating someone's demise. There's no real agenda other than to tell the stories of people who have been hurt and abused over and against the narrative 
of their abusers. And so there's some kind of justice to be done in that. So what I want to talk about today is which is it? Like are these journalistic efforts to be celebrated because they are calling to account abusive leaders and abusive systems or is it failure porn? Is it like some weird kind of failure industrial complex, some scandal industrial complex where there's money to be made, there's entertainment to be had, um, and you know it's just kind of collateral damage as to what happens uh, with these stories? Or is it somewhere in the middle? So that's what I want to get into today, but we'll dive in in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So there's no doubt that there's been a recent uptick in Christian kind of rise and fall content. And so these are stories of like once powerful or influential teachers or institutions that have really been toppled because of their own abuses or uh, indiscretions. And so these types of programs are typically the result of a lot of investigative journalism. People share their stories about what it was like to be a part of this toxic movement or this toxic institution or uh, serve under this toxic leader and to have those things uh, exposed. And we mentioned just a a bunch of examples of these in recent years, whether it's Hillsong, whether it's Mars Hill, whether it's uh, the Duggars, whether it's Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. And I'm sure um, as these programs continue in popularity and success, but we'll see even more of them because, quite frankly, there's a lot of stories of this to be told. Um, But Tamara, like as you have viewed some of these, I think I've viewed more of them than you have just because of the nature of my work and I have to stay up to date on things. Um, But what has been your experience seeing this kind of content? How has it like generally struck you, the tone, the content, the angle, the way it's delivered, like all that kind of stuff? Well, I think this content in general is becoming really popular, not only within uh, the Christian sphere, but just in the world of docuseries in general. I mean, you have so many related to um, like the Olympics with the uh, gymnast. He wasn't a coach. What was he? Oh, he was like um, not an athletic trainer. He was like a team doctor or something, yes. some kind of physician. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was a whole series. And I think there's been multiple in regards to him. I mean, obviously, you have uh, R. Kelly and everything that happened with him. Oh, yes. Uh, that There's multiple docuseries related to that. And really what you're seeing is um, most of the time <laughs> powerful men who are in a position of authority and have um, massive uh, public appeal and have uh, some measure of respect and some measure of uh, success that they fall to some type of a sexual scandal, right? And we're seeing content related to the rise and fall of all of these kind of leaders, regardless of the industry that they're in. And these docuseries have become a lot more popular recently. And now we're seeing even the world of Christianity is not, um, I guess, safe from these type of docuseries. I think the big difference um, from the ones related to Christian leaders and all of the other industries that we've seen um, just across the platforms is that with Christian leaders, a lot of them are preaching against the very thing that they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And that... I think makes the blow that much more painful and the scandal that much more enticing is the hypocrisy that's being preached 
um, from the pulpit and these men that have um, risen to a level of leadership, a level of authority, a level of uh, respect because they are preaching from scripture and the morals and the ethics and, you know, the saving grace of Christ. And then you hear about this very dark side within their own life. And it's so hard to process, to process. How do you stand up there and preach this while this is happening in your life? Likely as soon as you get down from preaching, right? Like because right. most of it's happening within the church, uh, with, like physically in the buildings, right? Or with among the people that are at the church. So they're standing up there preaching and then they're stepping down and, and stepping back into whatever dark scandal is happening in their own life. And um, it's, there's a lot of different angles you can talk about this uh, from just how... I think disappointing is not the right word. Like how sad. And you think about the witness of Christ, like, man, can't somebody get it right? Like, can somebody get it right for the name of Christ, please? Uh, It's fine. Not that it's fine, but it's understandable for men to fall who are not preaching this every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's a little bit more understanding in that realm, but for those that are standing up preaching it every single day. um, And then, most of it is revolving around sexual abuse, which is even far more painful because you're abusing, physically abusing, sexually abusing someone who um, is made in the image of God, right? I mean, money scandal is a, this is a scandal too, but I feel like that's a little, I don't know, like a little less at home, right? It's if a little it hits, less personal to the human yeah, body. Yeah, yeah. Than sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Like how much more can you abuse somebody? Right. That's like right at that, the core. Than to yeah. abuse their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but back to just the docuseries and, and kind of the way that I've been viewing these in general. They are not made by Christians. <laughs> right. Some of them are. Um, which one recently um, that we've seen? Not uh, a, a TV series, but the podcast series Rise and oh, Fall of yes. Marcel. Yes. It was made by Christianity That's Today, true. which is pretty yeah, no, middle right. of the road the, evangelical. The podcast, but I was thinking specifically of the docuseries, not I didn't think about the podcast. Uh, but those that are reflecting and honestly throwing shots at these leaders and the institutions, most of the time are not Christians. And so the shots that they're throwing, many of them are fair, but a lot of them are unfair as well. And so they're throwing shots at the gospel message too and basically categorizing it as a generalization that it's harmful because of look at what the leaders are doing. Uh, And they're lumping it all together into one, which I think is really unfair. And again, it's just a tragic witness (laughs) to the name of Christ. Not that he's not capable of, you know, making his name great past the way that people have tainted it. But I do think there is a lens in which, as the audience, we have to view the biases coming into these docuseries made by the creators themselves uh, and hold that intention as we're being faced with these many atrocities that are happening within the church by people that we trust, right? A lot of the leaders within the church are people that you automatically trust because who would put them in a place of leadership if they're not to be trusted? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to look at, you kind of gave a really good overview of like five, six hours of television programming. Um, I thought it would be helpful to zero in on one of these series in particular, uh, Shiny Happy People, since that one's kind of the latest and greatest. And it can kind of give a a little bit more um, meat and bones of like what you're talking about both for good and for ill in terms of what these programs are doing. So this series, Shiny Happy People, uh, Duggar Family Secrets, uh, it was about the Duggar family of 19 kids and counting fame. And so um, the Duggars, they had like a lot of kids as a part of this theological movement called the Quiverful Movement. 
And that is a reference to Psalm 127.5, which says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born into one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Quiverful. So you want to have as many kids as possible. So they don't believe in birth control of any kind. And they just, you know, as many kids as God gives you, that's the the amount of kids you're supposed to have. And so this family is like really committed to that, the Duggar family, uh, Jim Bob and Michelle. I think they're are their first names. Jim Bob for sure. I'm pretty sure it's Michelle too. Um uh, and so TLC, they kind of latched onto this family that had 17 kids at the time. They're like, wow, this is kind of quirky. This is kind of interesting. It's kind of like these are these are you know, this is a strange uh uh creature to uh, observe in their natural habitat and so like they made this this tv show out of it and it became like wildly popular uh, but the duggars they were part of so they're part of this quiverful movement but it was kind of like that was part of an umbrella of this uh homeschooling movement um this uh kind of fundamentalist movement that kind of encompassed a, a lot of things of a hyper complementarity of submission to authority and it was really led by uh, this thing called the Institute of Basic Life Principles, uh, which was led by a guy named Bill Gothard. And Bill Gothard kind of came to prominence, I think, in the 70s uh, and was you know, pretty popular up until about maybe 10 years ago when he had a, a sexual abuse scandal of his own. Um, but the vision that he set forward was pretty fundamentalistic. Like it was like complementarian, but not like regular complementarian, like super duper, like yes, my lord, complementarian type of deal. Uh, with authority and obedience, like really being like the keywords that are used in everything. Like when you think about like when you go through your day, like how often are you thinking about authority and obedience? Like they're thinking about it in every situation like what does authority and obedience look like in this situation right like, within among every relationship among every situation that they're encountering those are the lenses that they're looking through always yeah and i didn't realize this until this documentary this there's this di- like famous diagram that was used like widely in evangelicalism whether it was you know raising kids god's way or just in the general milieu of evangelicalism by the 90s it was this uh, umbrella of authority diagram where there was this big umbrella and that represented christ and then there was a smaller umbrella underneath him that represented uh the man and then there was a smaller umbrella under him which represented his wife and then there was a smaller umbrella under her which represented their children and everything outside the umbrella was like the evils of the world and so it was like that was the 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 paradigm uh everything was filtered through authority and so they would do courting instead of dating where the the daughter was seen as under the authority of the father until her wedding day at which point the authority was transferred to her husband and so the young man would have to come to the father and say, I want to court your daughter. And then they would have like chaperoned dating all the way through their engagement until, uh, you know, the first kiss is at their wedding. And then the authority is officially transferred to the husband. And so that's just like, you know, really a part of the whole system. Yeah. And even just growing up, I remember this being within the language um, that my family operated under was this uh, hindsight is this hierarchy structure, right? Of here's where the authority lies and here's where you submit. Um, And unfortunately, or maybe just unfortunately, as a woman, like you're pretty far down on the authority structure. Um, Sure. You have authority of your kids, but that's, that's it. Uh, That's where your authority begins and ends um and even in the world of courting like it wasn't until we started talking about this podcast that I was like oh that's how that idea came into the mind of my mother um who was a very new believer uh really young and trying to navigate the world of dating for her teenage daughter and courting was my life for a few years. I mean, I had a chaperone on every date I went on. Um, Oftentimes it was my brother, which he hated, I hated, like we all hated it. Uh, You know, when I would walk my boyfriend to the car, like the porch light would flick on and off after, you know, a minute or two because I was supposed to come back in. Like just the whole dynamics of even my mom's parenting within this aspect of parenting. 
uh, very much was shaped through this uh, paradigm and this understanding of the Christian family and the way that you ought to operate, even though she had absolutely no idea about this official like principle. Right, because there was this cult at the epicenter, but then the influence had ripples throughout evangelicalism. So yeah, this big authority thing, even with the children like spanking, they're like really into spanking, like yes. even your older children. And even from a young age, they do something called uh, blanket training. Where you take, uh, starting at six months, you take your baby and you put them on a blanket and you take one of their favorite toys and you place it just off of the blanket, maybe a couple foot or so off the blanket. And then they sit there for 20 minutes. And if they go to crawl and grab the toy, you smack them to train them how to sit quietly and submissively on the blanket uh, rather than go and be free. This is obviously going to tip my hand of my own parenting style, but that is like... (laughs) it's making me crawl in my skin. Like as we have a six week old right now, the idea of intentionally training them in that regard of like, there are so many other things I'm worried about parenting wise (laughs) in terms of what I'm training, but to take the time, like, yeah, tummy time. Like let's teach you how to like have a strong head and push up your, you know, your upper body strength. But now I'm going to add in, um, let me put something that you want in front of you. And if you try and go after it, I'm going to make sure to show you I'm the one in charge, not you. Yeah. And that's, so that's the whole thing. Yeah. And then the whole thing kind of culminated in this idea that if we have these obedient, submissive uh, Christians who are under male headship, then we'll spawn a generation of people who are going to be able to get into elected office and basically we can shape the the culture and the government in the ways of Christ vis-a-vis obedience and authority. Within your family first. Within your like family it starts first. At your family. But then because yes. you have twenty kids, you have twenty chances to yeah. get them into public it's office. It's a numbers and game. It, yeah. So we'll we'll overwhelm you with our numbers. Yeah. And basically take over America with our version of Christianity. Right. Which seems really drastic, right? Of a plan uh, to start so small and then say like, our goal is to take over the nation. Right. Yeah. So as you might imagine with, with the very real authoritarian structure, um, allegations of abuse are never lacking in a system like that. And that was certainly the case with the Duggars. There was one woman they interviewed who was, uh, she wasn't related to the Duggars or anything, but she was raised up in this same uh, system under Gothard. Uh, She described being raped by her husband and constantly beat under what they had like a domestic uh, discipline contract where with like very specific, like if then, if you do this, then this will happen to you kind of uh, just total control. Uh, teens and young adults, they were encouraged to go to these, they call them training centers. They were like these summer camps, uh, where you would basically like be free labor, uh, to put on these events for the Institute and for Gothard. And they worked very long hours. And if they were, you know, disobedient in any way, they would be, uh, locked in the prayer room with nothing, uh, but themselves and their Bible, uh, until they seemed sufficiently, uh, repentant. And oftentimes the team leader that put them in there was also a kid, was like a teenager, and so, um, like, literally, that's that's literally torture. Um, so basically, solitary confinement yes. is what we're doing, but we're spiritualizing it. In the prayer room. Yes. Yeah, until we break you. Uh, both Bill Gothard and his uh, brother Steve were accused of sexually assaulting teenage girls, uh, sexually harassing and sexually assaulting. I don't think it anything ever rose to the level of, like, rape, but certainly uh, a, a power dynamic and a, a sexualization and touching and innuendo and you know all this kind of stuff that was sexual assault which is still just as traumatic for somebody absolutely yes Mm -hmm. yeah on the receiving end of that yeah and then even within the duggar home their eldest son josh uh committed sexual assault when he was a teenager he molested four of his sisters and the babysitter which that became pretty like mainstream news that was mainstream news and he had confessed it to a state trooper who was a friend of jim bob's uh, his who, dad. Yeah, his dad. And the, the trooper never followed up on it. And not so ironically, that same trooper is now serving a 56-year prison term for child pornography. Then later on uh, in his life, this is, you know, again, big news uh, outside this documentary. Uh, Josh is serving 12 uh, years in prison for conviction of child pornography uh, on his own. And so all told, the story is pretty devastating. Uh, it 
And the context in which it occurred is really troublesome, particularly because like the name of Jesus has been attached to it. So the documentary, it really shines a specific light on the scandal around this whole Gothard cult. Uh, but then it also kind of makes some general inferences about the type of, you know, patriarchal complementarianism that Gothard promoted and how far reaching it was in evangelicalism. And so the argument is that where there is this certain type of overemphasis on authority uh, of a small group of powerful men, abuse of women and children is is likely to follow. And so the the reaches to which they pushed that inference is what has a lot of conservative complementarian Christians nervous. Um, So I want to discuss that a little bit, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. So there are people who are obviously thankful for a docuseries uh, like Shiny Happy People because it exposes not only this cult of uh, Gothard that just negatively impacted their lives in so many ways. It's also kind of exposing some of the root ideas that many times lead to uh, abusive uh, kinds of things. And but then the the way in which that kind of plays itself out and how far you can take that, like the root of the idea, uh, that is where uh, some Christians have been like, well, I don't know about all of that. For example, so I saw this tweet by an author and podcaster named Josh Dawes, uh, kind of calling out the makers of Shiny Happy People. And he's the host of the Great Awakening podcast, if that kind of tips his hand as to what context he's going to be coming from. Just want to put all those cards on the table. But he said uh, in a tweet, Shiny happy people should be commended for exposing Gothard's abusive cult, but much like its evangelical disaster porn predecessor, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, shiny happy people takes the opportunity to launch a broader attack on conservative Christians in general. There is nothing nefarious about politically engaged homeschoolers. And so, like we said earlier, like there's different sources of these things. Um, with the Mars Hill podcast that was made by people who are evangelicals and have been evangelicals uh, and like have relational connections with people who are in Marcel Um, with these Hillsong docs and with uh, shiny happy people, they were made by non-Christian producers, but there were a lot of people in these documentaries specifically in shiny happy people. I'm like, yeah, that person is someone who is an authority and understands the evangelical space and they were helping to shape the narrative. And so they did consult with a lot of people who were inside the house. You know what I mean? Um, But, Nonetheless, it does push a certain narrative that it it makes you you know suspicious of a certain brand of conservative Christianity, um, even outside that specific cult or or institution that they're shining a light on. That they broaden they broaden the scope of guilt further a little bit. Um, but what do you think, Tamara? Is it a fair critique that these types of content are guilty of taking a worst case scenario? Gothard, obviously, no one would disagree that that whole thing needs to be brought down. Uh, but then, basically, unfairly condemning the whole of conservative Christianity uh, on the basis of that horrible institution. I think there there needs to be some weight given to that critique because we've seen the trend line from a few documentaries at this point where that is the case. Uh, certainly, they are bringing to light. Um, and publicizing some very real, uh, just like disgusting matters within the church. Um, but when we're talking about like the big C church, right? Is Hillsong the big C church? Like, are they the representatives for the rest of the church worldwide? Is this what is happening within the rest of the church worldwide? Based on these documentaries, you would say yes. You would, you would be even more terrified about sending your kid to a church event, um, to any kind of a uh, private school that is run by a church, because all you're thinking of are these types of abuses that are being um, brought to light through these docuseries, right? Yeah, and even specifically with the Hillsong one, I think some of the things that stood out to me that, that they portrayed it as a fundamentally bad idea, like volunteering for a church or using volunteers to run your church service. Like they painted that as like inherently evil and exploitive or um, what else? 
uh, evangelism. They they uh, paint that as like this leader trying to get world domination. And so there's like a lot of things where I'm like one minute I'm like with him like, yeah, this is horrible. This is abusive. This is manipulative. This is spiritual abuse. And then they're like, and they made us volunteer. And I'm like, well, I mean, and yeah, like maybe there was a there was an uh, an abuse of volunteers, but that doesn't mean that volunteerism is inherently abusive. But and I think see, there's a lot of things that go on like that. Right. Yeah. And even uh, them asking Carl Lentz in multiple interviews, like, what is your view on marriage? And then. Anytime he said, you know, he holds to a biblical view of marriage, uh, they really attacked him for that. And they're like, see, he hates gay people. Yeah. 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 And see, they're just like out to destroy the rest of our culture. Uh, So I think there are definitely some skewed views that come out of these docuseries, which is why with any type of content that we engage in, we need to understand what are the biases going in and what is the agenda? Like what is the goal that the producers had making these docu-series? I mean, like, make was money it, usually. If, yeah. So because there's money behind it, it means there's you're going to really hype up the scandal in such a way, which n- by no means am I downplaying any of the actual scandals involved. Um, but right, making volunteering at your church an abuse of power instantly is not the right understanding of of what it is to um, be part of a church community. Um, you know, I can see how they got there, wa- like watching the documentary, though. Certainly. Because if, you know, if we're talking about Hillsong here, run like a corporation uh, with a lot of business values, a lot of money flowing in, a lot of money flowing out, a lot of money flowing to the top, and then you have this army of volunteers mm-hmm. that are unpaid labor, yeah. then you can see how that you, you can make the conclusion that using volunteers to run your Sunday service is inherently abusive. But then you're not giving a counterexample of a community-based church where everybody's in the church, uh, putting this service on, reaching out to the community, bringing them in, you know, spreading the love of Christ through service together. And yes, there are paid people on staff and there are unpaid people on staff, um, but that's all basically everybody working together to make the church work uh that's a fundamentally different picture than the corporation based kind of mega hillsong well right because then it's trying to paint hillsong as if that's the average that's what you do yeah and it's not hillsong was very unique in its size um in a way that it's operating in just so many of the dynamics of what was happening uh, certainly in the money aspect. I mean, if you just think about all the different marketing channels and income channels they had, it was pretty insane. Like no church Or has... even the way they set it up tax-wise because yes. some of their, if you gave to the 501c3 that was untaxed uh, and then you would get, you know, you could make a charitable donation, but then they transfer that over to an LLC and then they can do other things with it. And so right. it was just like a very complex network of- yes tax shelters and things like that as well. Right. Which again, the average church is not doing that. Right. The average church in your community, like, so you're, you're watching these docu-series and now you're afraid of going to the church down your street because you're assuming, um, it operates in these ways and it's going to have these sort of internal skeletons, um, because this is just the way church operates. So I think the generalization that these docu-series are painting is harmful uh, in a lot of ways, and I think it's unfair to the representation of the church. But are they bringing to light things that need to be brought to light? Absolutely. Uh, but I guess I do sort of wonder, is this the avenue in which these types of things need to be brought to light? Hmm. Right? Because most of this has already been the public knowledge um, right, but now the story's just kind of collated just, into a yeah, cohesive narrative. They're now putting it into one spot. And and are they even connecting the narrative like accurately in terms of timeline, in terms of um, things really seem to be happening pretty rapidly and it feels a little bit more severe sometimes when you watch it within, you know, a 30-minute segment as they're documenting something that happened over the course of, what, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, so, I can't speak to the Duggar one on that, but with regard to the two Hillsong docuseries that have come out, as because I, I literally watched those things unfold in real right. time uh, uh, for the past three, four years, and I could say they, I feel like they fairly represented what happened in terms of the facts. 
yeah. how you want to interpret those things I mean, right. is another thing entirely. But it, I think they were the at least those two. I can't really speak to the Duggar one because I never followed super closely uh, as that was unfolding. But with those uh, the the Hillsong one, I think there was there was good uh, journalism done in terms of the storytelling factual part of it. Yeah, and obviously they're gonna have. Um like all of the special guests that they had or interviews that they did from former church members uh, were all negative experiences. They didn't put anybody into any of these that actually like, I mean, the millions of people attending, there was, there was just no other side of the story. Um, And so I'm not saying that they needed to sit and have like a balanced view of what it meant to attend the church, but at least paint a little bit more fair of a picture of uh, what it meant for somebody to attend the church um, that wasn't within the scandals happening themselves. Yeah. I mean, that was a big critique that was leveled against the Mars Hill podcast where it's like, well, why didn't you say more about the good things that Mark Driscoll did in that church and the way people were impacted in a positive way. It's like, well, that's, you know, I don't know. Like, it just seems like you don't have to both sides a story in terms of like, if people's lives are destroyed by somebody who should have been a good leader to them, like that's the story. Like, you don't have to say, and all, but you know, they were a really good guy otherwise. Right. But as a viewer, you need to understand that's not the only picture. Right. And I think with a lot of and these... And you need the, to keep it in the silo that it's in within its abuses here is this is how it played out. This wasn't the whole of church itself. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the interviews, you they start with like how it was so good in the beginning and like, you know, the good things that were going on uh, with that. But um, yeah, I guess it's just it's a it's a complicated thing and it's a mixed bag in terms of, um, you know, people are not going to be happy with the way it's portrayed uh regardless of how much good or bad you put in there um because life is more complex than uh four 42 minute episodes or something it is and there's responsibility of the viewer to determine how that content is received and to know what is the end goal for this docuseries if it's if it's to reveal um, the scandals and abuse, then you're only going to be viewing it through that lens and understanding that it's through the isolation of this individual church, not through the lens of all Christianity. Right. Yeah. I think there is a certain extent to which ideas have consequences, but um, it's not quite as mapped one to one as they would always have you, you, ex- you know, uh, understand it. Um, so a lot of this is happening within the uh, kind of, evangelical deconstruction movement which itself is a pretty diverse movement it contains people who um remain evangelical even though they've retooled that there's people who are no longer evangelical even though they remain christian and then there are those who have deconstructed out of the faith uh entirely but it often has started with a lot of these types of uh scandals that they've been personally affected by how do you see uh that movement within evangelicalism kind of relating to this um larger trend of this type of journalism and this type of content that is being consumed not only by evangelicals but by the masses i think it fits within the current movement um because the reality is there are a lot of these stories to be told right there are a lot of Stories of um, abuse of power, abuse of um, leadership that is happening whenever you give someone so much power and authority um, and someone who is making the call for everyone who's um, reporting to them or beneath them to uh, strictly be obedient to their leadership. And when that there's such a heavy call for obedience by someone who is in great position of authority and they themselves have so many skeletons in their closet, like the whole system begins to crumble. And that's what you have even within the deconstruction movement is people are calling out all of the things that are not lining up, right? All of the things that someone is saying, uh, do as I say and not as I do. And 
that was even a saying that happened like within authority figures in my own family hmm. is they would even tell me like, well, do as I say, not as I do. She's like, well, then the whole system just falls apart. If you're not even going to do it, if you're not even going to be held accountable, uh, and there's this, um, there's a lot of injustice happening and that's what's stirring people up so much is like they can't even contain it within themselves as they see the great number of injustices happening. So I think it makes sense that these things are lining up in this time is because there is a greater movement, even within the church that's happening um, as we're, we're trying to see renewal, right? We're trying to see renewal within the church and renewal within the people of Christ. Um, but it, it begins to become interesting when aspects of that renewal are happening outside of the church, right? which I think is what these docuseries are. Mm, the, they're being yeah. told from outside of the church. Yeah. We're outside the church is like, we get it that women have value. Like why is that still a discussion for you guys that are inside right. the church that supposedly have the renewal plan for the entire world. I think a, a lot of times what these docuseries uh, uh, kind of reiterate to me is that um, the way that the church has gone wrong and has been abusive and has created uh, toxic cultures and toxic systems and uh, things that, that have really just destroyed people's lives – uh, that's all legitimate, but also at the same time, as I look at the diversity of the evangelical deconstruction movement, uh, people respond to that in different ways. And so uh, there's a lot of times where I can identify with the uh, plight of someone who is an ex-evangelical who no longer believes in God. Uh, I I can understand their starting point, even though I disagree with where they ended up. But I can understand how they got there in terms of just the way they deconstructed out of their theology. And so I think that's something to um, bear in mind when we look at the way stories are told, is that the people who are the wrongdoers are not the people who are telling the story. Uh, it's the people who did the things that were in the story um, that have created this cascading just diversity of brokenness uh and we can you know say like oh i wish you would have deconstructed this way um when the fact of the matter is what caused that process should have never been allowed to occur and particularly not in the name of jesus right do you think that it is um right to characterize this type of content as quote-unquote failure porn or to you is that just a derogatory term used to kind of deflect accountability or is it somewhere in between? I think it's somewhere in between. There's an aspect of it. It's entertainment. It's like you said, these, yeah, it's like infotainment. These things yeah. wouldn't be so successful. They wouldn't even have any money behind them if they weren't going to make money. Right. So there's an aspect of within the entertainment business. Um, there's a market for this kind of content to be consumed uh, for entertainment purely. I mean, there's plenty of people that are watching this just to watch it fall. Hmm. And they're not watching it because they are going to change anything in their life. They're not watching it because they're going to make any different decisions in their life. They're purely watching it for entertainment. Would you say that that falls more to the viewer then than the person who created the thing? Or because there's an exchange of money and goods and services both sides are implicated in that. I think both sides are implicated because why is it being made? Like, what's the motive for it to be made? Is it a hundred percent profit? Like, well, this is a good story. That's going to make me some money. Like maybe there's some heart behind it, right? Maybe the people behind it genuinely, um, have a mission to bring to light these things for the greater good of humanity, right? <laughs> maybe that's their heart behind it, but, I imagine there's some aspect of it that the only reason money is being put into it is purely because money is going to be coming out on the other side of it. So I think it's I think it's responsible on both ends. But um, to only paint it in that regard, I think is wrong as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because I do feel like a fair amount of time the person saying like, oh, you're just scandalizing this and it's failure porn or whatever. Those are usually the people trying to cover it up. They're usually the people who are like firmly within or adjacent to the people who did the bad thing or have some kind of institutional connection to it. And so it kind of becomes this kind of pious smokescreen of attack not the brethren type of thing, touch not the Lord's anointed, I guess, of not quite that far, but like, you know, like really kind of throwing dirt in the air of like, these are bad people who are pointing these things out. So yeah, maybe there were some bad things that happened, but the people who are pointing it out are worse or equally bad somehow because they're attacking something adjacent to my theological tradition. I see a lot of that. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're worse, but what is the solution? Right. Right. And that's that's the hard part is making these kinds of docuseries, is this part of the solution? Or is this part of just the entertainment value of it? I mean, I don't know. I think it's somewhere in between. Um, so I think there's responsibility to be had on all sides. I think there is a certain measure to which the more these stories are told, the more it's kind of like a culture building thing in terms of like our culture is the stories we tell ourselves. And so if these stories are told as the example of the culture we do not want to be, then I think that that has it can move us in a good direction. Um, I think insofar as um, they are used to capitalize on someone's failure, um, we can kind of create a surveillance state of uh, virtue signaling that that can be an unintended side effect. But I tend to think that that um, danger is far less, um, especially when the series that get put out or the stories that get told do have a, a high sense of journalistic integrity, even if they, the stories being told by someone who doesn't share my theological assumptions or doesn't even believe in God and doesn't even think that it's beneficial to believe in God or whatever. Um, I think um, there's still value to that, even if I don't agree with the overall arch of the story, which they tend to be fairly subtle about. But it, you're like, mm, I see that there. I didn't like the way that you uh, tried to implicate, you know, anybody who follows Jesus in that. Um, yeah, I think there's, I think there's danger, but I think, um, I think it tends to be less so than um, the people who are saying the woke mob is coming for us uh, want to make us think. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. What do you think are some healthy guidelines for engaging in this type of content, like as individual Christians, in a way that like um, a lot of times these stories are important because these are the stories that um, that are a a type that is multiplied throughout church experiences. So to be conversant in the, the kinds of things that have gone on. Uh, but what do you think the guidelines are to be conversant in that, but not to be cynical because we've just like downed. 12 hours of streaming content of just the worst church leaders you've ever seen in your entire life. I think some of the guidelines are to remember that this is um, not the whole church um, and maybe even to self-reflect on your own role that's played because within the church at large, you see a lot of the consumer mentality and that's because you have churches like Hillsong that are run like a corporation Right. So automatically they're appealing to a consumer type of transaction rather than a relational aspect. Uh, and so even as you're viewing these things and even as you're reflecting on your own church experience, are you uh, coming in as a consumer um, of your church uh, that often gives way to these types of situations? Um, or are you coming in from a relational standpoint uh, to your church? I think um, just checking your own heart, which I, unfortunately, sometimes I hate to say that phrase in light of... Check your heart, bro. Yeah. Check your heart. Well, in light <laughs> of the comedian that has coined it. But, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, he did so have a whole a, bit about that. Yeah. I forgot about um, that. But that's a whole, I, we could do a whole other docuseries on that one. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's an aspect as a person watching some of the guidelines are to be aware of the story that's being told um, and the role in which you could play into this larger picture within Christianity. Hmm. Yeah, I think in so many ways, the evangelical movement has been experiencing a reckoning in recent years with so many just 
abuses and abusive systems, even just, you know, like not isolated incidents, like like theologies that have been built into systems that have built into just the systemic overlooking or endorsing in some cases of abuse. And a lot of that's getting exposed. Um, at the same time, the motivation of people who are exposing that is not monolithic. You know, even if you look at people who have been wronged by the church, abused by the church, hurt by the church, uh, there are some of them who's, you know, deeply love Jesus and the church still, but just can't idly stand by as abusive cultures are continually allowed to exist and thrive. Uh, there are others who would be happy to see the whole thing burn down. And then there are some people who have been sufficiently hurt by the church that it kind of depends on the day, which one they're feeling. Uh, that makes me think of this line from uh, Thor Ragnarok, where Bruce Banner, he sees uh, the villain Loki for the first time since the first Avengers film. So it's been like years since he's seen him. And he says, hey, the last time I saw you, you're trying to kill everybody. What are you up to these days? And he says, it varies from moment to moment. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people who've been hurt yeah. by the church, but who still love Jesus, it varies from moment to moment. You're like, burn it down. You're like, no, we can rebuild it. Oh, we can, you know, just just because it's, you know, uh, just the human emotions that are attached to that trauma. Um, it's not just like this. I think I, I have faith in this or whatever. It's this very human experience. And so I think the challenge for us as individuals is to uh, process through that in as healthy a way as we can and allow other people to process through that in, a, in as healthy a way as they can, which is to just experience what you're experiencing a lot of the times. Um, because like while many of these institutions that have been built up around the, the Christian faith are uh, corrupt and will rise and will thankfully fall, um, Jesus is never going to give up on his church. Um, and I think we have to be secure in that, that Jesus is still in the church um, uh, in such a way that allows us to go through the experience of all of the highs and lows of, of recovering from that trauma. And at the same time, not give up on it ourselves because Jesus hasn't given up on it. Right. Because our faith isn't tied to the leaders and the institutions and it can't be. And as soon as your faith is tied to those things, um, your faith is not going to stand because it can only be tied to Jesus. But that's not to say we shouldn't hold people in leadership accountable. I mean, even scripture itself says that it holds leaderships accountable, right? Uh, that God cares about the way um, people are leading his flock. And there is a sense of accountability in those roles that the rest of the church is not going to feel that same measure of accountability because it is a role where you're leading people, right? And you could be leading people astray or you could be leading them closer to him. And God cares about those things. It's not like, well, everyone's fallen and broken, so who cares? Right. Um, there is a measure of accountability that God himself cares about um, within his church. And he is also going to judge, right? But uh, insofar as we as the church can hold people accountable, um, I think we ought to. But to only be on the path of making sure every single person who's ever done wrong is held accountable for their actions through a docu series, right? Yeah, no, really, yeah, really. Um, I think that's when we begin to uh, wage a war path that we're never going to win, and the whole aspect of the gospel is hope, the hope of Christ, and if we're looking to these fallen leaders what hope is there in them? There's none. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to make sure that our faith is tethered to Christ and not to these leaders, even as we're weighing out what does it look like to keep them accountable. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kynosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Do you ever hear sayings make their way through the culture and the church that seem nice in theory, but are actually theologically problematic? 
My name is Shara Donahue, and I'm the host of The Bible Never Said That, a podcast where we examine these popular sayings under the lens of biblical truth. We cover sayings like, God won't give you more than you can handle, time heals all wounds, and follow your heart. We also spend time exploring how people use Bible verses out of context. If you want to grow in discernment and truth, join us and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.